Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. So, Nick, thank you so much for being here. It's you know, we've been really looking forward to this conversation, as I'm sure, you know, some of our listeners will be as well. Thank you. Really excited to be here on Salt Ovation. Thanks, Meredith. And thank you, Judy, too. All right. So we will just jump in. So can you give us a little bit of your background and how you ended up kind of where you started and how you got to kind of the cannabis industry and now getting into the psilocybin and just kind of the more maybe... It wasn't a straight path, Meredith. (laughs) It's a crooked road. The fun stuff. It's a crooked road to get here, I'll tell (laughs) you. Uh, you know, so I left the IRS. I was an IRS trial attorney for, I don't know, 11 years or something like that. And I left the IRS right about when cannabis was being uh, becoming an industry here in Colorado in 2012 and uh, 13. And then uh, full legalization occurred in 14. And I, I got my sort of first cannabis company audit that I handled right about that time frame. I think it was a little bit before 14. And, um, you know, kind of saw what was going on out there. And, and um, you know, the IRS then targeted the cannabis industry here in Colorado. And so pretty much every cannabis company got put under audit. And pretty much that was the only audits that were going on here in Colorado at that time. And um, so it just became a huge part of my practice sort of because I was there at the time. And, um, you know, it grew and, and now I've joined Green Spoon Martyr and Green Spoon Martyr is a big, a big law firm. We're an AMLAW 200 law firm with offices all over the country because the cannabis industry expanded from Colorado. It was great for me because I was there in the early days. And then it, with every new state, uh, there was a, a new cannabis company and a new guy from Colorado there in the background somewhere. You didn't have a guy from Colorado in those days. You didn't know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I knew those guys from Colorado. So it was it worked out really well for me. And then, you know, you were worried about like the federal limitations since it's not legal federally that you would, you know, like my husband, he worked for the state of Colorado and then he does this sort of litigation and he didn't want to do the marijuana industry because he was worried he couldn't litigate in federal court. But that you don't find to be an inhibition on your practice. You you're able to silo yourself within the state so you don't get hindered from an ability to take it further because you're not really litigating cases. You're helping them get compliant, that kind of thing. Yeah, and so early on, the the state bar said, "Hey, you can represent cannabis clients. Even criminals get to have lawyers." By the way, mm-hmm. uh, and not that they are criminals, but um, it, but you can't help them sort of do any forward planning. Okay, uh, you can represent them with things that happened in the past. So that was the first. Oh, and as he gets more funny, that was the advice. And the other part of the advice was, and you can smoke marijuana. Um, and then the, and then the second advice came along and they said, yeah, you can represent cannabis companies and you can actually help them comply uh, moving forward. And you can smoke marijuana. Uh, <laughs> we just want to remind you of your ability that you will not get marijuana, right? to, you know, support your clients but I, in a, but, I, you know, but Judy, you know, it was a little bit more dicey, I think for CPAs because CPAs do that planning work. Um, and then a number of CPA um, uh, societies came out with, um, guidance um, and and, uh, and really the IRS wants the cannabis industry to use qualified CPAs and is 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 happy to see them come into the mix. I've I've had a ton of of cannabis industry audits and even in the early days 
when they weren't at all correct, uh, the returns that were being done, and people were just blatantly ignoring the rules. Um, there were no, there. I never ever saw a return prepare penalty or anything like that because there just was so much uncertainty out there. It wasn't appropriate. That's interesting because a lot of the large firms I've worked for, Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, a regional firm called the Ide Bailey, they all said no cannabis. We're not going in that space. And one benefit we have at Tax Ops is we're kind of the owners of the company. We can make those decisions. So we have not turned a blind eye to them either. If they need our assistance, we're here to su support them. Um, we don't do as much multi-state because everything's siloed if that makes sense. So yeah. we have a lot of clients that serve mm -hmm. the cannabis industry, meaning they'll, I call, can one of them is like the Home Depot of, of cannabis supplies. Uh, we have other clients in like CBD industry. So that was a kind of a game changer a few years ago where everyone's like, oh, DHD, it's bad. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah, but they still have compliance issues and so forth. And so we're able to help them. So we've always been kind of pro-cannabis, I suppose you would say, to give good advisory services, but because we weren't curtailed. By that, so it's very interesting because let's even law firms have made those decisions of in or out. And obviously, Greenberg has not made a decision. Yeah, and we were actually early in the space. We were all in publicly with a dedicated cannabis practice early on. Okay. Um, and, and and Judy, one thing you just said that's very interesting on on the on the state tax side for cannabis companies and CBD companies, it's interesting. Many people would probably say that the CBD industry is actually kind of less safe in a way than, than the marijuana industry because there's really no rules in the CBD industry. Right, this is marijuana. Yeah. 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 Robust regulations around the marijuana industry, right? And so now um, this year, actually, what we're seeing in that space is that a lot of those CBD manufacturers went ahead and were doing something called Delta 8 and Delta 9, which is THC derived from hemp. And now um, a number of states are going back in and saying, oh, we think you're a marijuana company. Guess what tax applies to all of your sales for the past four years? Right. The marijuana tax. Oh, boy. And that's a big number, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and now they want to apply that to the sale oh, of hemp-derived THC as well. Uh, that's going on both in California and Colorado. And I've heard it's spreading to Florida and other states as well. Oh, dear. So yeah, heads up on that. That's brand new. Well, and that's well, yeah, just so unfortunate. It's a legitimate business. It doesn't get business deductions. I mean, there's just so many things I think that are still wrong about how we're handling this legal industry. And now we're like going after it more for classification issues when there's no, you know, uh, alternative substance in a THC. Going back to like a penalties, because some of those kind of marijuana taxes are up to like 20, 30%, right? Mm -hmm. They're not, yeah. and, you know, hit with excise taxes and whatnot. They're not cheap. For no, lack of a better, they're area. oftentimes they're oftentimes thirty percent. I mean, I think the average one is 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 around that number, and you know there might be a ten percent production excise tax and a fifteen percent sales mm -hmm. tax, adding up to twenty five to thirty percent, depending on what state you're in. But yeah, and then you look back and you do a three year, four year calculation of that tax on the sales of hemp nationwide, and uh, boy, that's a big number, right? So um, you know, I've been. And of course, they did schedule Delta Eight uh, as as a as a controlled substance, and I believe Delta Nine as well. So it was scheduled as a federal controlled substance. Judy, was that a, a month or so ago? A month and a half ago? Not not too long ago. Yeah. It was listed. 
Yeah, that's yeah. some scary stuff, honestly. For the for I just feel such empathy for these people getting into this space. And it's such a good curative space. You know, it's so good for the body and all the things have been proven. Uh Charlotte Webb is a client of ours, and they, you know, they got the yeah. Sanjay Gupta, you know, green light. I mean, it was just all kinds of wonderful things. And I think so many people are benefiting from these products to deal with stress and anxiety, kind of like the Soma saving from nineteen eighty four and saving lives. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And here comes psilocybin, right? There Marana? we go. There's that the yeah. transition that I was going to make is just, you know, because <laughs> Colorado decriminalized the possession of mushroom psilocybin two or three years ago. Denver did. Denver, Denver okay, did. Denver did. And maybe that's where I confused because that's where I reside and voted yep. on favorably. Um, and then this last, this past year, Voted was this also was this also a Denver thing or just a, a state thing for Statewide, yeah. the ability it, to it, 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 kind of are, use it at home, not sell or distribute? Kind yeah. of. So, can you kind of walk us through what some of the changes are, or what some of the rules are associated with mushrooms that Colorado has done? And where you think maybe some of that interplay to kind of the regulations that have been in place, you know, certainly in Colorado for 10 years or associated with cannabis, how that's going to kind of carry over into the mushroom space. Well, you know, we'll, the, the rules are still being written in the mushroom space. It looks to us like it's it's sort of less, re, you know, retail and more medical, which is good for the industry if that allows them to be profitable, because it, it, it starts to align with a case out there in the marijuana space called CHAMP, rather than subsequent cases that found that all the activities of a cannabis-related enterprise were subject to a code section called 280E, mm -hmm. rather than just the specific area where the sale of marijuana was occurring. And what section 280E is, is a code section that, I'll try to paraphrase it here, it's pretty short. It basically says that there are no deductions or credits allowed for trafficking in a Schedule One or Schedule Two controlled substance. Psilocybin and MDMA and um, the, the, the various drugs that were legalized here in Colorado are still federal controlled substances. And so, you know, 280E would still apply to that business. And the extent to which it applies is still an open question. Uh, there's a lot of therapy activity that goes on in, 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 in or should go on in those in, in those new businesses that are coming along. And, you know, that ca case I mentioned, CHAMP, is a case involving an AIDS clinic in, in San Francisco in the really early days. And that AIDS clinic was a, was a legitimate medical facility and they started selling marijuana. Um, and, um, because they, because it worked. Um, and so, uh, the court held that it was only the portion of that. It was a single company too. Only the portion of the company that was for the sale of marijuana was subject to Section 280E, right. and the rest of it was not. But the but in the cannabis space, there's, there hasn't been a case that's happened since where the court has has ruled along those same lines, despite things other than the sale of marijuana that goes on in dispensaries. And that's mainly because dispensaries are so limited in what they can and can't do in a lot of ways. And psilocybin's different. Psilocybin has this heavy-duty important therapy mode to it uh, that I think starts to align it closer to the champ facts 
That said, they need good lawyers to make sure that they are, you know, setting up the right, you know, structure and and, and relationship and all of those things to qualify for that. Right. Because don't you bifurcate operations a little bit? Like you would want to have separate legal entities so you could benefit on the, not lose the benefit of 280E. So you would want to do certain things operationally to separate the cost so that you could get valid deductions except for on the one component? Is that what you see yeah. a lot of advice around, like that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, it, it, it could depend, though, on... it's or, Right now, it's Oregon and Colorado, and the models, we're not sure how similar or dissimilar they're going to be. And can you separate them? Does this therapy have to be provided by the company that's selling the psilocybin as well? And so there's some there's some questions around that, I think, still, Judy, but you're, you're spot on with that. Certainly, it's better to have that in a separate company than in the same company, although that wasn't what CHAMP was, so I don't think it's required, mm-hmm. but I, I I think it's better, too. Well, especially there is, there is, in theory, right, the possibility of less kind of commingling of, you know, kind of duality behind, you know, if you think of it like a cost seg, like how much of your electric, you know, your electric bill is used for growth versus, you know, the accounting department over cubicles. Yeah. So you allocate costs like that and it it really goes, so there's that part of it. And then there's the, the really, it's kind of the hobby loss rules, the section 183 rules as to whether that other business is a separate business. So, and that requires, Profit motive, right? Uh, realistic profit motive. And the problem with a lot of the cannabis cases was that they put so many expenses on the other non 280E company that it could never make a profit. So it was found to be not a legitimate company and merely just part of the cannabis company. And again, that's because they're so limited. The only other thing they can sell are bongs and t shirts. We call it glass, glass and t shirts. And that's not a viable business. And it's such a small piece of what people are coming to coming to dispensaries for that it's the courts have pretty much held that that part is is as is merely ancillary to the sale of marijuana. But this, but the but psilocybin space is way different. It seems like the psilocybin itself is a really small part. It's really the therapy that's the big part of it. And you know, Meredith, I got I I'm kind of an old guy, um, and I like to know kind of what the what the the cool kids are saying, you know, what are they calling me? Are they calling it smoke? Are they calling it weed? Are they? So I'm doing that. I'm doing that in the psilocybin space as well. And I tell you, they're still calling weed the flame or the fire. That's still good. That's still good speak. Uh, I don't know if anybody's calling it the kind or, or anything like that anymore. Certainly nobody's calling it grass. Um, but, the, but the newest I hear is lit. They're saying it's lit. So you're like, oh, man, that was lit. Um, that's like the I, I understand that's the new phrase. And in the in the psilocybin space, I got two two terms for you. If we're going to do this, we've got to know what they're talking about. Fair. right? And the first term term is the stack. And so a lot of psilocybin that's being produced these days. And yes, it's happening. They will have a, a, a list of the different kinds of mushrooms that are in it. And it's not just the psilocybin. They want to put what are known as functional mushrooms in, in, in as well. And they call that then the stack, right? Uh, and then the other thing I'm, I'm hearing from um, folks in Oregon, actually, is that when you, and probably this is more than just Oregon, but um, is when you take the, there's, there's just two different kinds of ways to do it, right? You can microdose psilocybin, and then you can take a huge dose. And the huge dose is more of the therapy model, I understand, although 
I don't know if that's true or not, but that huge dose now is called the hero dose. Mm. Ooh, I like it. Stack yeah. and hero. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was just thinking, I have this book on mushrooms at the side of my bed that I was just reading. And then I just read this book from my book club. And it's about these people like that ingest mushrooms and it makes them live forever. And then they transfer their body to the next person. It's a very interesting uh, book. <laughs> very gloomy because it's about mushrooms that are like it dark. Anyway, so um, I'm like, oh, I should go get those and then put them on here and show them. Um, you can learn about this stuff because there are like millions of mushrooms out there too. Like millions. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, they're everywhere. And during COVID, yeah. I got through COVID. I watched this thing called Fabulous Fungi. It's a documentary mm -hmm. about the, you know, how bad we thought mushrooms were. And there are so many good palliative reasons for them. And I'm like, oh my God. And then they connect the earth, like, because they grow in the ground and then they come out and they kind of clean up the world. And you're like, they just do so many wonderful things for our bodies and nature. So anyway. Yeah, I even heard that um, when the way that we do our gardens at home, we shouldn't till the whole bed because we because we disturb that. It, what's it called? It's called the mycelium. We disturb the the mycelium layer, which is the which is the the sort of you know mushroom layer beneath the surface that is used by plants then to communicate that they need resources. This is the story goes. And so the plants actually send signals through the mycelium and then the mycelium will deliver nutrients and things back to the plants or so one of the books I read said. And then I saw a, another, another thing the other day where they said, yeah, you should, when you're tilling your soil, don't till the whole thing because you disrupt the mycelium layer. Just go ahead and till where you're going to put the plant itself and just do that so, you, so the mycelium then stays intact around those small areas. Who knew? So much useful information here, Judy. I'm telling Who you, and now we're going to learn like even more about it. That's what's the cool thing. Like, that's legalized. You're going to see more. It's good. Yeah. Maybe in yeah. route to being legalized. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was going to just add Freakies, which is right by my house, a smoke shop and tattoo parlor, I guess. So they sell bongs, pipes, vaporizers, there's oil rigs and whatever you got in that whole space. So obviously that's been a viable business somehow, some way. I don't know how many bongs one human needs, but I guess, right. you know, there is businesses that have been supporting this industry, even though before it was legal. <laughs> Because that, that shop they were been tobacco. 20, 30 years. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Well, I've always felt that that would be a good model to start a cannabis company in. You just create a little window in the back and a safe space back there. And now your whole facility is already uh, a profit venture. Mm -hmm. And now just this little piece is subject to 280. So far, I haven't seen anybody do that. But I've always thought that'd be a good Method. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't yeah. thought about that either. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.